All right, so we are um, continuing along in our series. Uh, our bigger series is Sunday School at Tapestry, and so we're doing it uh, Sunday School, old school style with all of the felt board uh, pieces that we're putting up there and telling these stories and then diving into them a little bit more. Um, but we were also um, in the series about the beginning of the church. And as I was working this week, kind of, you know, working on what I was going to be talking about and um, for those of you who have been a part of small group uh, over the last several weeks, um, you're going to be very familiar with the controversy that arises uh, for Paul this morning. Um, but as I was thinking about why, like, right now, you know, sometimes you talk about things because, like, you're dealing with the thing, and so, like, it's on your mind, and you talk about it. And then other times, um, you know, a little bit of pastor honesty right now you talk about things because you're supposed to talk about something. And so you just find, it's just hard. You struggle and it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to hear something. I'm going to talk about this. Um, this has been an interesting one for me because, and as I was sitting, thinking about it, I, I think I realized because like in talking about the beginning and how the church started, I almost feel like this is a restart for us. Um, you know, after having been apart for a year um, you know, as we got started back up, you know, honestly, we were like, we, we aren't real sure who's still with us, who has gone elsewhere, like w what is going on. So it almost feels like a, a restart, a relaunch of who we are and what we're doing. And I think that's why um, this kind of has resonated with me over the last few weeks as we've looked at, you know, how the church started. And if we're kind of restarting here and getting back going in person, you know, it's probably a good idea to take some cues from the early church. So today's story, unlike last week's story that was very uh, dramatic with some vivid death um, that was thrown in there, th this is a pretty this is a pretty boring story for the felt board characters. Um, it's more it's one of those shows. Uh, it, it's more dialogue than it is action this week. Um, but we've got, uh, we've got our main guy, let's see, we've got our main guy, Paul. Paul's here and he's, Paul's doing his thing that he's been doing. As we've talked about over the last several weeks, you know, he's like, all right, I'm taking on uh, you guys. All you guys do Jerusalem. You make sure that church is going good. I got everything else. And so he's out and he's just telling as many people as possible, like outside of Israel. He's going all around the Mediterranean, telling many people as possible about Jesus. And, and it's working. Like tons of people are starting to follow Jesus. And so he writes letters to these churches that, he's, that he kind of starts as he goes around and, and he'll write letters to them, make sure they're doing good, give them some instruction and he'll get, he'll get reports back about how they're doing. And, and so he started to get reports back from some of the churches that he had started and, and he was troubled because they were like, hey, hey, Paul, um, People are telling us, and by people, we mean people from Jerusalem, like some of the, some of the important uh, apostles, that they're, they're telling us that um, there's something we have to do if we want to be a follower of Jesus. Paul's like, okay. He said, Paul, they're saying that for us to be a follower of Jesus, we first got to be a follower of Moses, which means we have to follow the laws um, of, of Judaism and... Um, you know, one of the things they're really being a stickler about, Paul, um, is this whole, this whole circumcision thing. Now, Paul hears this and he's like, wait, 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 wait. They're telling you what? And they're like, yeah, yeah. They're, say they're saying we got to get this done. 
that we can't follow Jesus if we don't do this. And Paul's like, no, 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 this isn't right. So Paul, he heads, he heads back and he meets with a bunch of the, he meets with a bunch of the guys, right? And so Paul's standing there and here's some of the, some of the other apostles and Peter came up and was standing next to him while he was doing, he's like, guys, listen, we, we've got this thing. I've been telling everybody you know, that if they accept Jesus, it, it's on faith that they're saved and they can be followers of Jesus. And the guys were like, no, 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 no. That's, that's not right. Like they, because they saw this, this offshoot, this, the way that they called it, they saw following Jesus. They saw as an extension of their Judaism. They saw Jesus as the promised Messiah from their Jewish faith. And so they're like, well, if people are gonna follow him, they gotta be connected with the rest of it. They can't just pick up there. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Like, you don't understand. This is causing all kinds of troubles. We're gonna, you know, and so they argued about it for a while. Um, and Paul gets a little, Paul gets a little, for those of you who've been a small group, you know, Paul gets a little, uh, you know, testy in his writings. And as he's kind of writing to the churches when he told them the outcome, he was just kind of like, yeah. And here's what I said right to their face. Like he's, he's like, Paul gets kind of into it about it. And so this was a, this was a significant argument between these groups of people. And so finally, Peter, Peter, who was kind of the head of the whole thing, Peter, who would be the first recognized Pope for the church, Peter, Peter stands up and he says, all right, guys, I've listened to all the arguments. Here's what I've got to say about it. He's like, listen, we shouldn't make them follow all of our laws. We just shouldn't do it. And Paul was like, yeah, I'm down with that. And so he just took off and he's like, I'm running with that. These guys were like, eh, we don't, ah. But it was Peter. He was kind of the in charge. So they're like, all right. So they let it go. And they're like, all right, this is what we're gonna, this is what we're gonna do. Now, you know that eventually in the church that there had to be controversy, right? Because at its core, the church is people, right? And people are, Let's just say, people are people. <laughs> and anytime you have groups of people, there's gonna be controversies. There's gonna be people who think something should be done one way and a group that thinks it should be done another. And no, this is why, and this is why, and they're arguing. There's gonna be, there's gonna be controversy, right? And, and if there's one thing um, that the church of today has held over very well from the first century church, it's controversy, right? I mean, you don't have to, the singular fact that there are as many different denominations as there are <laughs> speaks to just the level of controversy and disagreement in the church. So much so that it was like, for a long time, it was like, oh yeah, well, we're splitting off and we're starting another denomination and that denomination splits and that denomination and it's all the different denominations. And so now, now at least people have gotten to the point where like, okay, we're splitting off just non-denominational. <laughs> like we're not gonna be part of all of that and argue with everybody anymore. And so it just, controversy. And, and, and some of the things that, some of the things that there's controversy over are legit. There's heavy things to discuss on both sides of an issue. Some things there's controversy over are the most embarrassingly, ridiculously nothings. You know, I, I, listen, we had, the church I was at in Ohio, we had done a remodel on the sanctuary and um, there was a couple in the church and they had, they had volunteered to, uh, when it got to that point, to come in and paint the sanctuary. They're like, if the church buys the paint, we'll come in and we'll paint. And they showed up and, um, 
some of you who are involved in church already know where this is headed. Uh, they show up and then we're like, all right, here's the paint. And they're right. And they go and paint. And then they come back in the office about 45 minutes later. They're like, uh, can you come into the sanctuary? And we're like, yeah. And they come in and like the paint is one of the walls is, is done. And they're like, is this the right paint? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the right paint. And they looked at it and like, that's the color we're going with. And we're like, yeah. So they said, okay. And they finished painting the sanctuary and never came back. They quit the church over the color of the walls that they had volunteered to paint. And so when I say some ridiculous disagreements and controversies within the church, I mean, it can get really small. And a lot of times uh, it's just destructive. But that is something that we, we, we've carried over. And, and it's why people, you find people who say that they believe in God, but they don't find him in the church, right? And they use the, well, you know, I, you know I'm, I, I'm spiritual, not religious because they tie religion to church. And then it gets into all of the controversies and the messiness and they just don't find it there. And this takes place about 20 years after the death of Jesus, right? And, and the controversy essentially was about this. It was about who should be a part of the church, right? Who, who gets in? How, how many rules do you have to keep to stay in good standing in the church? How holy do you have to be? How, how much of your lifestyle do you have to clean up before you can be a part of the church, right? And essentially the question that they were really getting to was what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus when it comes to your lifestyle, Right? And that controversy is very understandable in the context, in the light of the first century. You had the Jewish people who had, you know, there's the Ten Commandments that we think of as law, but like they had over 600. And that was a lot, right, that they had been brought up with. And, um, and they believed, you know, that, like I said, Christianity was an extension of Judaism with all those laws. And so it just made sense that people would have to become a follower of Moses and become Jewish before becoming a Christian, you know, and Jesus even said himself several times, which was one of their arguments. Like Jesus said, no, no, no. Like I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so they saw Jesus as very much a part of that. But suddenly all these Gentile believers, right, are becoming around the world. They're, they're, they're believing Jesus, but then they're, they're finding themselves stuck. They're like, wait, 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 wait. Paul told us that Jesus died for our sins and we can have peace through grace and for forgiveness. You know, that, that, that was it. Now the leaders in Jerusalem are sending people to us to tell us, you know, whoa, 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 slow down. It's not that simple. You have to learn some things. You have to embrace some things. You have to clean up your act a little bit, right? You, 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 you can't just do that. And, and to be honest, it's why so many people have dropped out of church. I mean, you can, you can easily find the statistics of church attendance within the country, and it's going down and down and down and down, right? Because so many people get the feeling after being around church people that they're just not good enough. And when you combine that with the not really finding God in a lot of places, not finding God and not feeling good enough at the same time is not a recipe for hanging around. Nobody wants to be in that environment. Right now, the flip side of that is this, is that if you've been a church person for longer than, I don't know, let's say 10 years, right? You can understand some of the angst and the conflict that these guys felt, 
right? It's not completely formal, if foreign, right? Um, there, you know, because come on, part of Christianity is a moral standard, isn't it? Like that, that, that plays in some, an ethical standard throughout the Old Testament. You know, we're told things, you know, don't lie. Like that's a moral standard, right? You gotta, you gotta, you know, don't treat your spouse in a certain way. You know, you got the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten, you know, don't cheat, don't steal, don't kill. You know, these are, these are moral imperatives that are given out, right? And there is a moral imperative to Christianity. At the same time, there's, there's this incredible message that's woven in through this whole thing um, uh, of grace and forgiveness. And oftentimes what happens with, within the local church is, is it the truth of the gospel, which is, you know, here's what you have to do, how you have to behave, you know, what's expected of you, comes into conflict with, with the grace part of the gospel, right? And when there's conflict, church people get really weird. When there's conflict, they get really defensive and they start building walls and creating barriers and putting people on different sides, you know, and we want you to become part of our church, but before you can, you know, here's what you have to do. And there's this natural conflict. And the amazing thing is this, um, and I'll admit that as many times as I've tried to understand this, um, I still don't think I have a full grasp of it. Um, but when Jesus did his ministry and interacted with sinners, John, when he was writing about Jesus, he, he said this, he said, he said it was amazing that, that Jesus was grace and truth embodied in a singular person, which is a really big statement, right? Grace, he, he, he wasn't, and it wasn't just the balance, it was that he was fully both, which is hard for us to wrap our mind around. And it, it, isn't, it isn't clean yourself up and conform first, but neither is it, you know, let's throw away standards, make everybody feel good about anything they want to do. And there was just this, when the local church can get that right, like there is something really appealing about it. There's something really welcoming about being able to get that right. So, so the early church was wrestling with this. And, and as a result, this essentially is the very first business meeting ever of the church. Um, you know, we don't have business meetings uh, very often at Tapestry, but this, this, was our, this was our first recorded church business meeting. Um, and in this meeting, we wrestle with grace and truth. Uh, and there's a very large takeaway for us this morning. So to look at the, uh, to look at the, uh-oh, somebody's stealing. Um, to look at the, um, the scriptural uh, version of this story and see in the text, he, here's what it says. Um, and this is a little PG-13, but you know, it's in the Bible, so... Here we go. In Acts chapter 15, verse one, it says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. Judea is where Jerusalem was, which was the epicenter of all this. Antioch is where um, the followers of the way were first called Christians, kind of where they were identified. Um, but they came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. And here's their message, these brand new Christians. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved which I imagine every single, at least guy listening to that was like, wait, what? Can you, can you repeat? I don't think that, I don't think I heard you right. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you have this surgery, right? You can't be a Christian. And I imagine they were probably thinking, um, 
Paul didn't tell us that part, right? I think he, 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 left, he left that out, right? What, what, what are you saying? Well, we're saying you can't be Christians until you are Jewish, right? And we're sorry that this didn't happen for you when you were like eight days old. Um, yeah, but, but you're gonna have to do this to be saved, right? Now, basically what that meant was um, the quarterly newcomers lunch was pretty much women and children because I don't think many of the guys were real excited to sign up um, for this procedure. I'm sure it was like, you know, uh, honey, you go ahead. I'm going to wait in the car. You just fill me in on whatever they say. And uh, I got to think about this, right? And, and we read this and, you know, maybe find it uncomfortable, but it, this was serious business, a serious hurdle that they had to overcome, right? So here's what they said. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. I didn't have Barnabas up there today. It was just Paul on his own. But it brought them into sharp debate with them. And as you can imagine, right? Paul's been traveling the world, telling people, just accept Jesus. That's all you gotta do, accept Jesus, accept Jesus, right? And then all of a sudden, hmm, more than that. Here's what happened. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some of the other believers to go to Jerusalem and see the apostles and elders about this question. So he basically goes to the apostles and elders and he says, look guys, you're messing things up for me. You're making this much more difficult. Here's what happened, right? It says, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything that God had done through them. So Paul shows up and he says, guys, we need to talk, right? But before we do, let me give you a report so that you're fully aware of what is happening. I've been traveling the world. People are embracing the message of Jesus. They're excited about it. And when they embrace it, amazing things are happening, right? And we've started all of these churches everywhere I go, but I have not been telling themselves that they have to clean up their act and become Moses followers before they're Jesus followers. In essence, he's saying, I have not front loaded the gospel to say there are things you have to start doing and things you have to stop doing. So listen, guys, we're sending mixed messages here and we've got to fix it. Then verse five, some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, which pause right there, that's a really important little sentence that's easy to fly by because the Pharisees were the group of people who put Jesus to death, right? But once Jesus rose from the dead, even some of the Pharisees saw that and was like, oh my goodness, this guy is who he said to be. How can I, how can I not believe him, right? And so they joined the way, but they're committed to the law of Moses still, right? And they're like, ah, I know Jesus died for everybody, but it's hard to imagine that they don't have to act like us to be able to follow Jesus. It's just, and here's their argument. These guys said the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now, us Gentiles, we don't really, we don't really get the, the weight of that sentence because yeah, 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 there's the 10, there's the 10 and we're okay with those even though most of us don't really follow them all the time. But we want everybody around us to follow them. But, but then there's the other, the other 600, and so essentially, here's what they were saying. Paul, we want you to get back on the boat. We want you to go back to all of the people that you've been to, right? And train all of those people how to change their entire lifestyle 
to adapt to our 600 laws. Paul, they need to dress different. They need to eat different. They need to walk different. They need to obey the Sabbath, like 600 laws. And once they've adjusted to the 600 laws and have a surgery, then they can be a part of the church. Now to us, we're sitting here and like just the idea of somebody telling us that, like it, it seems absurd. But before you judge them too harshly, take pause. Because if you've been a part of church for very long, this kind of thinking creeps in on all of us. All of us are subject to this, right? You, you think you're open-minded and accepting, but every once in a while you're, 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 you're somewhere in you know, a, a religious gathering or a get together of some sort, you know, your kid brings a friend home and you see people who are Christians and they don't seem very Christian to you because maybe they're doing some things that you don't think a Christian should be doing. And so you start to judge them. And maybe not out loud, you know, you're not gonna go there, but it's in your mind. You're thinking it. I mean, never mind that there's a Christian somewhere looking at the things that you do, judging you about it, but it just kind of creeps in, right? And because here's the thing, we all tend to settle into our version of Christianity. And inevitably, somebody's gonna come along that doesn't fit our version, right? And we become a little like the Pharisees and a little judgmental. And this is what was going on with the early church. It, it, it keeps going, verse seven. After much discussion, Peter, bam, the main guy, first Pope, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Essentially saying to him, remember, this isn't just Paul, right? This is me too. Like we're, this is a God thing, right? He says, God who knows the heart, which pause again right there. We gotta ask ourselves the question, do we believe that statement? God that knows the heart? Because see, when I look at you or when you're looking at somebody else who doesn't fit your version of Christianity, like, I, I know your behavior. I can see that, right? I know how you dress. I know maybe, you know, I mean, what tattoos you got. I can see that. I know, you know, I know what kind of music you listen to. Maybe I know uh, how poorly you are at keeping up your yard and you make all the neighbors angry at you because you're the only one with knee-high grass weeds. You know, I, I can see those things. But God, who doesn't care about those things, who sees the heart, showed that he accepted them. These non-law keeping people. He accepted them. And here's how he showed it. By giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. And they were probably at that point thinking, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I guess that makes a little bit of sense. He keeps going, he says, he talking about God did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. To which some of the Pharisees might have been like, you know, okay, 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 wait, 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 wait. He might have purified their hearts, but their behavior, they're still offensive. They still don't dress right. They don't eat right. And Peter's saying, wait, wait, just remember what this whole thing is actually 
about. What the heart of this thing really is. He keeps going and check this out. He kind of challenges them, verse 10. He says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? <laughs> he essentially looks at him and says, guys, you're so concerned about us telling them they have to do these things. Guys, let's be honest. We don't even do them very well. And we were raised in it. You expect them to just undertake, take this upon themselves? He says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are because God knows the heart. And this is important because God can purify a heart before anything that you can do to purify a life. Right? And that's something that we get mixed up and get backwards because us as Christians, we tend to get so focused on the life. Like, what are they doing? You know, are they keeping all the rules? Is, is everything being said right, dressed right, done right? Right? We, but, but we lose track of the heart, which is that tension between grace and truth, grace and truth, grace and truth. It, it's a tension. Now, at the end of Peter's message, which we've skipped a lot of it, I would encourage you to go back and read it. Um, James, the brother of Jesus stands up and he makes the most amazing statement. Here's what James says. James says, it is my judgment. In other words, all right, guys, we're gonna bring this discussion to a close. I've heard all the debate. Here's my consensus. And then this is one of my absolute favorite verses in all of the Bible. He says, it is my judgment that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. That was his bottom line out of it. Guys, I've heard the debate. I know we have these standards that we live by. I know God, God's a God of absolute, yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's what I've concluded. That as this movement spreads, we should not make it difficult for the people who are making an effort to turn in the direction of God. In fact, anything that makes it difficult, we need to remove that if we can. This is, about, this is about who is not here. This isn't about the people who are already here. Right? Here's what James says they should do. He gives them a list. He says, instead, we should write to them, telling them to, and then he reduces the 600 laws to these. Abstain from food polluted by idols. Abstain from sexual immorality. Well, okay, James, would you like to define that further? No. And abstain from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. And the guy who's on the side taking notes, you know, it's his job to keep track of everything everybody's saying. He's like, all right, what's number four? No, <laughs> there isn't a number four. What? Yeah, there's no number four. Wait, so James, you're saying set the 600 aside and basically tell them, try uh, to not offend the Jewish people, right? And abstain from sexual immorality. That's your, that's, that's, that's it? He looks at him, he's like, yeah, that's it. That's what I think we should tell them. And they're like, but what about all the other stuff? And he says, let's not burden them. 
Let's not burden them. And then here's how it ends, right? They decide to send a letter to the Gentile churches. And the people, as they opened up that letter, they were probably really anxious as to the contents. Are they like, surgery, no surgery, surgery, no surgery, right? What are we going to get? What are we going to get? Right? Here's what it said. Verse 31, the people read it and imagine this and were glad for its encouraging message. And luckily the church avoided an early split, right? And do you know what the split was going to be over? And yes, you know, the specific thing was, yes, you know, is there going to have to be circumcision or not? But it was, it was about moral imperatives and proper behavior versus grace, That was what was at the core of it. And they said, those two things should not be in conflict because Jesus was the embodiment of both of those things. Now, this is a big topic and there's not enough time today for us to get into all of it, but I, I wanna leave you with three statements because every church struggles with these three things. Right? And in every generation, this kind of rears its ugly head back up in different forms and sometimes with some really bad, terrible consequences. And this is the very thing that has driven people away from churches in droves. So for us, here's the things that we need to avoid as a church. We have to avoid um, the drift towards insiders and being solely focused on who's here at the expense of outsiders, those who aren't here, right? And, it, and it's, it's the natural pull for every single church, just focusing on those who are right there and in front of them, right? Th- those who know, you know, those who know how late to be, right? <laughs> you, guys, you guys all know. You know how late to be. You, you show, you get, and you know, and I, you know, I always feel bad. I always feel bad whenever we get somebody who's coming for the first time and they show up and it's just them because none of y'all show up right on time, right? <laughs> and so you're right, you know, can I get an amen from some of you newer people, right? And you're walking up and you're like, we're the only ones here. This is weird. Like, what is, like, do we stay if nobody shows up? Like what, you know? Because all you insiders know, oh, we're late, right? Because you know exactly how many songs are going to be played. You know, you know, you know, when we, when we were still inside, and once we get back inside, we'll pick it back up. But you kind of knew where the good donuts were hidden, right? And so you could you know, sneak around to those. It's you people who know that like when it's a beautiful day comes playing when I'm done, that's your cue to hightail it to the car so you don't get wrapped up in helping us tear everything down and put it back, Right. I know, I know who you are, right? It's easy to pay attention to the people who are here, especially, especially, you know, in times, you know, in difficult times, it's easy to pay attention. Can I be real honest? As a pastor, somebody trying to keep something afloat, it's real easy to become really focused on the people who are paying the bills. Just some honesty out there. You'll see churches all the time when you go off course and when you go back to where it started, it's because people who were paying the bills carried some weight and they got away from the things that they should have been paying to out of fear of losing some of that, right? It's easy to pay attention to the, to the people who are, you know, the consistent volunteers, but, but we can't ignore those who aren't here just to pay attention to those who are here. 
The second thing we've got to avoid is we've got to avoid the drift towards law and away from grace. Right, and this is huge. And I don't mean theologically, I mean practically. Like the drift, the, the natural drift for churches is to have categories and policies. And this is, you know, what it is and what we do. And, you know, category, Gentile, policy. They got to keep the law of Moses. That's it, right? That way we can avoid the conversation. Anytime there's a question about, well, that's, that's just policy. And that's the way churches begin to drift towards the law and away from grace. And as frustrating as it is to so many people, and honestly, we've had people leave us because of it. This is why we don't have policies. You'll not go to our website and find this is our policy and our stance exactly on this. Because we do not want to drift towards law away from grace. Because people are won over by conversations and relationship, not by policies. Matthew, the tax collector, wasn't brought in by a policy. The woman caught in adultery wasn't brought in by a policy. That's, that's not how it works. The third thing that we've got to avoid is the drift towards preserving away from advancing. Because when you start something out and it's small and you don't have much, you don't really have much to preserve. And so you kind of take some risks and do what you got to do. But as things build and as you get more and more and more, the mindset is to shift to preserving what you have and not doing anything to risk it and protect that thing. And that's difficult. That's difficult. Now, so here's kind of, I guess where I want to leave us this morning with this story and kind of where I want us to be as people and as a church that I essentially see us as beginning again after the pandemic. I, I, I want us both as individuals in the church to commit to three things. I want us to commit to being bold. That is looking for the opportunities and taking advantage of the opportunities to talk about your faith to those outside of our church. The second thing that I want us to make a commitment to is if we are going to err, we're going to err on the side of grace. And like I said, that's gotten us into some trouble in the past, but essentially my response to the people who want us to err more on the side of law is there's a thousand churches in this town that are going to err on the side of law. And maybe that's better for you. <laughs> Because if we're going to mess up, we're going to mess up on the side of grace. That's where we are going to be. And the reason that I fall that way is because, man, am I glad that God chose grace for me. Because I couldn't have measured up <laughs> and I couldn't have met the law and I couldn't have done it on my own. And I'm willing to bet that you're glad that God chose grace for you as well. I mean, aren't you glad that God looked at your heart and didn't say, well, you don't keep all the rules right, so you're out. No, your heart. Looks at your heart that he accepted you before you made all of your behaviors acceptable to him. Some of you are like, wait, 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 past tense made my behaviors acceptable? I'm still working on that. Yeah, we all are. That's the point. That's the point. And then I want us both as individuals in the church to remain open-handed, to not ever be driven by just protecting something that we have, but always being willing to reach to those outside of us. And I honestly believe 
that if we can avoid these drifts as a church, right, that that will take away the difficulties of anybody that comes into contact with us who is trying, maybe on the verge of attempting to turn to God. And may coming in contact with us make that a much easier turn in their life. Because if we can avoid these drifts, perhaps God will use us as this church to do something in this city to advance his message in the same way that he did something with the early church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I I thank you, Lord, for, for the responsibility that you have given each and every one of us here today or listening to this as a representative of you to make it easier for people to turn to you. And Lord, this is, this conflict over law or truth and grace, Lord, this is one that the church has wrestled with forever. But God, may we find a balance in there that is attractive to people who are on the outside that draws them to us, that is not something that we get wrong in such a way that makes it difficult for those who want to turn to you. And Lord, I pray that through all of this, that you begin to do something amazing in this city through this small church. Lord, I thank you that you chose grace for us, that you were focused on our heart, not our behavior. Let us turn and give that to those around us. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out today. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. Have a great week and we will see you here next week.